This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast on day five of the US Open on an absolutely perfect evening in New York City. This is part one of the show where we wrap up most of the day session. We'll be back with part two later to cover the night session. And don't worry, folks, for anybody listening to last night's podcast, we will be covering Eggy Medvedev in today's show as a as a major priority. Just before we do, I'll tell you about AO Travel. We are brought to you in association with AO Travel throughout this US Open fortnight. They operate the travel program for the first Grand Slam of the calendar year, the Australian Open. And if you were listening to yesterday's show, you'll know that they are providing a cracking competition prize going to one lucky tennis podcast listener the winner will receive two return economy flights to melbourne from their nearest airport tickets on rod laver arena over the middle weekend of the australian open for two people and three nights accommodation at the five star pullman on the park hotel in melbourne the most perfectly situated hotel imaginable as well as two-day access to the luxurious ao travel lounge It is an incredible prize, folks. You can enter the prize draw today by clicking the link provided in your show notes. It's also in yesterday's newsletter. If you subscribe to that, you have until Monday the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter. Terms and conditions apply, but good luck. Yeah. We we are going to the Australian Open already, aren't we? We are going to Australia. There's no need for us to enter, I don't think. Because otherwise I'm entering that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, has my dad already entered? Do we know? Can we check? I'll ask him. Right, on to today's tennis. And since I've mentioned it, I feel like we should go chronologically here. Let's just cover off Eggy Medvedev from last night because we didn't come back on for part three. That's because Medvedev did end up winning in four, but it turned into quite the match, not just because of Eggy Medvedev, but also because Chris O'Connell turned into a non-ironic downright sensation for two sets much to Daniel Medvedev's dismay in his own words uh, in the post-match interview he said I don't know why but at one moment in the match he decided to play much better (laughs) (laughs) and then some Um, it was was awesome what what 
O'Connell suddenly did. I mean, he was really struggling with his game. He was 6-2, 6-2. It was not even competitive. And then suddenly he just ignited and showed me a game that I didn't know that he actually had, including... I mean, I described it as backhand list-worthy backhands. Now, am I qualified to talk about backhands in that regard? Probably not. So let me hand you over to a man who is. <laughs> they were great backhands. <laughs> uh, but no, you, David. But they were somewhat overshadowed. They were overshadowed by, you know, agro-list Medvedev. I don't say this lightly, folks, but Medvedev produced a top three all-time moment for me last night. Because after he lost that that third set, that third set that we were recording the second part of last night's podcast during, he called the doctor out onto court, who asked him, what are your symptoms? And he replied, I lost the set. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, this was was retaliation because Chris O'Connell had called the trainer out himself after losing the second set. So he said, yeah, I lost the set. Give me whatever you gave him. <laughs> and it was... Elite. It was absolutely elite. He yeah, he was on form at the moment. He was trolling women in the crowd. We were shown some shots of him last night on the practice court. Actually, this was probably on the other side of Eggy Medvedev, more on the kind of not nasty in terms of mean, but nasty in terms of behaviour Medvedev on the practice court really viciously throwing his racket and throwing some abuse in the way of Jill Savara who took a lot, a lot of that last night as well he left the box didn't he after that third set I think he returned he, he did return yeah, yeah he, he was definitely there for the end of the match but I mean I mean the woman in the in the crowd gave it back she blew him a kiss it was, was it was good work too. it was it was Medvedev at night on, on Armstrong, Armstrong getting eggy, yeah. and it's, it's my favourite thing. And quite an impressive regroup, actually, in that fourth set, because everything we spoke about at the start of the tournament, in terms of Medvedev's serve, started going wrong for him again. It was the same thing that he'd had against uh, Alex Dumanor when he played him the other week. At big moments, he was serving double faults. He can't, at the moment, rely on that serve when he needs it most. And, of course, his, his whole head was scrambled by Christopher O'Connell. It wasn't just that the serve went off, sort of everything went off. And it was really unnecessary for Medvedev to get himself involved in that fourth set, as well as Christopher O'Connell was playing, which was spectacular, you know, credit to him. But then for Medvedev to, you know not let it completely run away from him I thought was, was quite an impressive regroup and then and might end up serving him better that he's had a little bit of a test it wasn't too physical uh, yeah just just great scenes on, on Armstrong last night I had a, such a fun time yeah and he'll be back on Ash tomorrow night he's uh, second on the Arthur Ash night session against Sebastian Baez and I just hope Baez can make him stressed enough to bring out a little bit of the uh, the I lost the set energy uh, it was fantastic absolutely fantastic right on to today's tennis and Matt's American pack hunters they've all played today they have all won today it does feel like with all due respect to a few other names that are lurking in there this bottom half of the men's draw is Novak Djokovic against the Americans mm. yeah it really is uh, you've got Ben Shelton Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul, who've already played and won, 
and we've got Taylor Fritz tonight in the night session as well, who, of course, is, is the number one American. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe the most under the radar out of all of them. Like, I'd say so. Francis Tiafo is the guy here. Ben Shelton is new on the scene. He's fun. Everyone immediately gets what he's all about. There's a great atmosphere at all of his matches. Tommy Paul had the day session on Ash today. I think it was his first uh, match on Ash, certainly his first win. Um, and Taylor Fritz, because, you know, he's been a bit of a letdown at the Slams in the last year, to be honest. I feel like, and he hasn't played big names, and he hasn't got big names in his section. He really is going under the radar. Uh, and, of course, he would be, if he does get through, talking a lot of hypotheticals here, but he would be the first American that, that Novak Djokovic would meet. It's that mm. quarter, and the other three are all battling it out to potentially get to the semis here. You know, that's that's what we're talking about with Shelton, Paul, and Francis Tiafa. It is a bit weird how much of an outlier Taylor Fritz feels in this gang I, I, almost, I don't know whether I'm overstating this it feels like and maybe Tommy Paul's slightly less so but definitely Ben Shelton Francis Tiafo Christopher Eubanks who's still hanging around he started work for ESPN today didn't he they're a gang you know Eubanks and uh, Shelton were courtside watching John Isner together weren't they it feels like they're all spurring one another on and um, Tommy Paul as well I think to an, to an extent Taylor Fritz feels quite apart from that I've, I've absolutely no reason to think there's any specific beef or coldness between them he's just not in the in the cool club and I, look the cool club very much feels like the place to be I, I would like to be in it I want to be on the um, that noise uh, by the way is Sitsudosa <laughs> sorry we interrupt this, <laughs> this or rather Sitsudosa interrupt this podcast they're They've just done some sort of. They're literally causing a commotion behind us. (laughs) They've just done some kind of fan. They are walking past us, holding hands, high fiving everybody in their path. It's somewhat distracting. What on earth was I saying? Um, You're talking Taylor Fritz and where he stands in. Yeah, and look, I want to be on that party bus. I want to be friends with Ben Shelton. That looks like the fun place to be. But maybe actually this will do Taylor Fritz a favour to be under the radar. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's. Like, I, I also don't know what the, the vibe is really I, I think he, he is sort of part of it but he's, he's a bit older and he's kind of he's got his own team um, they've been together for a while and he's had expectations for a while now I mean it's it's a couple of years really where he's been above I mean Tiafo as well but he's been above the others and he's supposed to be delivering and he's not been delivering for the last year He's now got to deliver here. Quarterfinals is an absolute minimum for, for where he is with his ranking and with the draw ahead of him. And he needs to play Novak Djokovic and he needs to give Djokovic a hell of a run for his money, I think. I, I know that's a big ask. I mean, it's possible he could take the court against Djokovic, play well and just get beaten up because he's not He needs as good. to give a good account of himself. He, does. he needs to get there and give a good account of himself. Yeah. There's no accounting for what Djokovic will do. He hasn't done that here. Uh, and, mm. and last year was... I, I, I know... Look, it hurts him more than it hurts anybody else. He wants it so badly and, and he desperately wants to do himself proud in, in America and be one, be the one. He wants... That's what I like about that group is... They are supportive of one another, but they're all fiercely ambitious for themselves and they want it to be them. And that's that's healthy competition. But 
I, I am fascinated to see how this week unfolds. I bet you, ultimately, it'll bring out the best in Djokovic. That's what I'm expecting to happen. But I actually think that certainly Tiafo, if he plays to his peak, is capable of actually responding to that. I, d- I don't mean winning, but responding. I know he dropped his set, but I was very impressed with Francis Tiafo today. It feels like a real test past yeah. Adrian Manorino and and past pretty much with flying colours. Anyone can drop a set to Adrian Manorino for sure. Adrian Manorino was relishing in being a pest today. That's what he does. And we could see during the match, and he told us after the match, Francis Jaffo was not having a fun time trying to take on Adrian Manorino. I don't know how you prepare to face him. Nobody else plays like him. Nobody else even strings their racket like him. I don't even know how you get sort of a hitting partner to mimic him in preparation for the match. He literally strings his rackets like different order of magnitude looser to anybody else on tour because he plays with that incredibly flat hit. It's basically a trampoline, his his racket. He's a he's a blooming canny tennis player and yeah, he, he, in the words of Francis Jaffe, he said he's so annoying to play. You look at him and you think, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's actually super effective. He makes you overplay, which was really great analysis from, from Tiafo on the match. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with the way Tiafo turned this around because, you know, he's out on the, um, on the Louis Armstrong Stadium, which was packed. And when that stadium is packed, which it often isn't you know often the the upper levels are not full but it it can feel quite intimate and it's big at the same time and they were you know they were they were expecting Tiafo to put on his show he comes out there and drops drops the first set to this guy who doesn't seem to have even a clothing sponsor and he hasn't got one he's just wearing a white t-shirt and like (laughs) suddenly all all of the air could have gone from that he's like the anti-Tiafo isn't yeah he? totally he's completely the opposite I am here to suck the vibe Manorino out of this place literally. like a vampire <laughs> and I will delight in doing it he doesn't know who he's playing before he steps on the court Manorino if, if he can help it yeah. you know, basically he wants to find out as late as possible he doesn't he's, prepare he, for a match tactically in that way he says sometimes he sort of accidentally finds out in the locker room and he finds that annoying he wants to not know till he walks out could you imagine that it's just like oh yeah. <laughs> fancy seeing you yeah and, and, and in I'll that, go to your backhand <laughs> it's rubbish isn't it and in that respect it makes him you know, kind of the perfect player to face Tiafo in that environment. He's completely unaffected by that. He just plays his game, and his his lefty serve was causing Tiafo all sorts of problems in that first set. But Tiafo has gears, and he has an ability to change the course of a match, change the energy of a match. And he did that today by. You know, he fell a breakdown, but then he said he felt like he was playing well at the end of that first set, carried that momentum into the second set, and then changed it completely. Lost his lost his way a little bit in the fourth, and it ended up really tense, and he had to do his thing of winning a US Open tie break, which was one of the trade you know trademarks that he had here last year, winning so many big moments. He's kept that going. And, you know, he then, in the on-court interview afterwards, says, the summer is irrelevant. 
it is all about this tournament. And I love how of how true to his word he is. Like, he's said that all year, and he really, really means it. And you called it, Matt, when we were doing our post-Canada, post-Cincinnati podcast, when I was feeling a bit downcast about how Tiafo was performing on the US North American hard courts because I was so excited about him here and what he could do here, and he just didn't seem to be any form at all, in any form at all, and you just... Yeah, you pretty much said the same. It's irrelevant. I'll, I'll judge him on New York. And it's it's quite unusual for a non-Grand Slam champion, for somebody of his stature, obviously here he has particularly elevated stature, but within the within the game, you know, he's a, he's a one-time Grand Slam semi-finalist. It's quite unusual for somebody with that CV to be talking that way about warm-up events versus slam isn't yeah. it and not even just he's not even spreading it across four slams he's putting all the pressure on one slam I think he knows who he is as a player and as a person and what gets his juices flowing and that's this and he experienced it a year ago nothing else can match it and so he's tapped in and that's what he wants and I, and I felt I was, I was with Mark Woodford on commentary on BBC Radio at the time and I thought it was the, mo- the moment that he decided to just take over physically in that match is what turned it and he stopped trying to you can get drawn into Manorino's kind of match and because Tiafo's got his own dinks and his own touch it would have been very easy to get into the wrong type of match and I think instead he just ended up going into blunt object mode and just smashing his way through the barriers um, and I thought that that was really grown up tennis that at the top level it, it looks like his next opponent is going to be David Rinki Hijikata. Wow, that's great. Rinki Hijikata is currently two sets to one and five two on Zhang Zhizhen, who was having some treatment on his back and hip area in that third set. So I haven't been able to watch much of this, but possibly not not entirely fit for it. But Rinki Hijikata, fourth round of a slam, great for him. Francis Yaffo playing Rinky Hijikata for a place in a Grand Slam quarterfinal seriously great for him yeah, I mean that, the, the, on paper that doesn't get any better really now and that's not to do down Rinky Hijikata who won me over massively in Australia I enjoyed his I think he played Nadal in the first round in the in the singles but then he won the doubles with Jason Kubler and I just ended up watching loads of that run and really enjoyed the way he plays sort of followed his results since he's clearly a really spiky talented quick silver feet just a lovely player to watch but I mean the force of Tiafo I just expect him to take over again I, I think he he uses the crowd I mean I you know we'll talk about Shelton and even Tommy Paul they're, they're learning how to do it to, to use the crowd but Tiafo uses it so naturally just come that's that's his whole thing the way Shelton used the crowd today after his win definitely is uh, six love in the fourth incidentally of Raslan Karatsev definitely indicated to me he was watching Stan Wawrinka yesterday oh, on really? court 17 he put his own spin on it in particular he throws the balls into the crowd rather than using his racket because we've seen that guy throw a football and yeah. I mean he could probably play tennis without a racket quite frankly um, but yeah he was doing the whole pointing to the four four corners of the court and demanding noise from them uh, in order to decide where to throw the ball so 
I don't know, maybe they both spontaneously came up with it, but I would love it if he had watched Stan yesterday and thought, I want a bit of that, and he just had this beaming smile on his face. I know this isn't new territory for him, of course, quarterfinalist in Australia, but... It's, it's still it's, here. it still looks all so new and fresh on him yeah. and that's really invigorating to see someone just tasting it for the first time and loving it and not being remotely jaded by any aspect of the tour and I think it's legit to be jaded by aspects of the tour it's, it's tough out there but maybe maybe that'll never get him but it's wonderful to see someone untouched by all of that right now and he'll face Tommy Paul next so guaranteed American in the quarterfinals at least and that's a fun match they played they played in Australia of course yeah they played the quarters in Australia and I don't know kind of tough to judge Tommy Paul today I mean in his own words that was a weird one <laughs> against Alejandro Davidovich Fakina one of those where they didn't play well at the same time you know a tiny bit towards the end of the fourth set where Davidovich Fakina was trying to get the match back on serve but you know 6-1-6 love the first two sets for Tommy Paul Davidovich Fakina was all over the place I, again I wondered whether whether he was ill you know that that is going through my mind a lot at the moment given how many how many players are ill whenever you see a scoreline like that it makes you think I don't think he was because he he seemed absolutely fine in that third set he was just incredibly erratic as he can be uh, so yeah Tommy Paul comes through and I'm liking his vibe a lot this tournament as well. He seems he seems a nice mix of of sort of chilled but serious. He, he's also self-deprecating mm. because in his on-court interview he he was very he said he was very concerned yeah. that nobody would turn up to watch because I've never been on a stage quite like this before and and so he was really grateful that so many had come and cheered him I think he you know he's such a different personality to Shelton and Tiafo probably more like Fritz but he but he hasn't got Fritz's experience so you can see him trying to almost will himself to believe that he belongs and and there were moments where Brad Stein his coach who worked with Courier all those years ago was saying to him it's all about you Tommy when he was serving for the match kind of like take over don't don't allow it to be about him or anybody else you've got to grasp this and and I think he it's not that's not natural for him necessarily he is perhaps a little shy compared to the others and uh and it, and and he's got this little lad with him who he had with him yeah. in the previous round who he said uh, when I was two sets to love down the other night there was just this one little lad Eddie who was in the just a fan on the side? I think eight years old or something. Who was sat shouting to me, "I'm here all night for you, and oh. and, and I'm going to be here, so you keep going." And and he came back and he won in five. And and Tommy has invited him to come to to this match, and he's had him on the front row there, and he was engaging with him afterwards. And he said, he said, he, "I want him back for the next round. If I'm here, he's here." <laughs> and, and it was so lovely. And I don't then know in, whether he knew him beforehand, but it was no, so he lovely. didn't. He didn't, and he, and he gave him a shirt the other night after the after the uh, five set comeback win, and he was asked in the press conference today, "What happens when the kid needs to go out to school <laughs> next week?" And Tommy Paul was like, "No, I didn't think about that." 
well, you know, kind of all across that bridge. Yeah, it's really, it's really cute, nice scenes. Tommy Paul also, uh, he also signed someone's forehead, <laughs> who apparently he signed the same bloke's forehead last year. The guy said, do you remember you signed my forehead? And Tommy Paul said, uh, yeah, I remember. And then in the press conference he said, I actually didn't, but I was just, just telling him that I did. And that guy's mate had uh, toilet paper, TP, Tommy Paul, toilet paper, and he got Tommy Paul to sign that as well. So, God, that guy sounds like a laugh. Right. <laughs> what is going on? Imag- yeah. Imagine the banter in that household. Imagine wow. how pleased he was when he came up with that. Uh-huh. Okay, on to the women's draw. Iga Sviantek, love and won today against her best friend. <laughs> she she was absolutely awesome today. I actually can't stop thinking about her quote from after the match, which was, I don't have many friends, but she's my best friend. Bless. Yeah. And God, she and, was so good. Yeah. So Get good. over how good she was. I, I, I commentated on the match, 49 minutes. There was no, there was no safe space on the court against her. Backhand winners down the line, forehand winners down the line, forehand cross court winners. Good shots just being dismissed as though they're nothing. I mean, and and look, she is one of the most ruthless players I've I've ever seen play the sport because of the way she has these lopsided scorelines. I was sitting next to Coco Vanderway. I said, "Have you ever felt sorry for an opponent when you're beating them handily?" She goes. No, she goes. I loved it, and I, if I got a six love set, I so much wanted to get another one. And but I, for the first time ever, I had a little flicker of wondering whether she gave her a game, just because, right? She wasn't missing, and maybe it maybe it was just one of those things. But it it came a bit out of the blue that that Yuvan won that game. Ostapenko next oh, for Ostapenko beat Bernardo Pera 6-3 in the third and has a 3-0 head-to-head against Sviantec. I knew she, she'd beaten her, I didn't she know it was that. famously was the last person to beat her before the streak started and she was she really lent in to sort of being the person that had the secret I know how to beat to, her. <laughs> to beating yeah. Iga Sviantec. <laughs> but yeah, three times. Yeah, once in Indian Wells and once in Birmingham as well and honestly that is important like there are so many players who go on to court against Iga Sviantec and they know they or they think they can't beat her and Iga Sviantec knows that and kind of the vibe I got today like you know it was it was never going to be anything other than a bit of a thrashing today I think Sviantec played so well that the extent of the thrashing was what it was but I never felt like there was any jeopardy really for yeah. Igor Sviantec today Ostapenko knows believes she can beat Sviantec Sviantec said in her press conference I have to expect the good Ostapenko to show up basically you know she didn't say exactly that I wonder exactly what you that. do against that you know if, if the good Ostapenko does show up I wonder what you do as, as Sviantec attack the second serve yeah you've got to because they'll both be doing it won't they they will they'll be teeing off yeah, and for me that's so important for the spectacle for Iga Sviantec matches I, I'm increasingly aware of how many players just feel defeated yeah. walking out there and are concerned about humiliation 
quite frankly these one side has got there's a reason well there's a few reasons but one of the reasons Shontek is so weird about talking about those one-sided scorelines is I think because you know she knows how sort of embarrassing that is potentially for other players and it's not just fear of losing it's fear of humiliation yeah and you know if that's on your mind before a match you don't well, stand a lot of chance Yelena right. Ostapenko she might get humiliated because Iga Shontek is a better player but she's not worrying right now no. about getting she's humiliated think she thinks she's going to win and if, that is very important for the potential of the match I'm expecting chaos and that's what Ostapenko wants I think she could easily end up winning 6-1 love 6-2 six, six, or so if she was going to win you know that I could, I That's could imagine just a that. standard school line, or, or, isn't it? Or the other way around. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I mean, there was a moment in the Yuvan match today in the second game, Yuvan's first service game, when she she actually was competitive in it, and I just said to Coco Vandeweghe, if this, if she holds here, it's huge, because the way it can just go and, and, and I mean that's exactly what happened you know, it doesn't take a genius to see that it happens so often in Shiontech matches but I do love the fact that Ostapenko will just come out and swing you know and if she loses fine David you started your day uh, commentating on Karolina Mukova beating Taylor Townsend um, in an incredibly entertaining and uplifting match, particularly particularly the opening set of this one, which was a joy. Yeah, I mean, the, t- the tennis in the first two games had more variety than any other full match that I've seen. I mean, both players go into the net using angles, using spins, using flights, defending. It was just so enjoyable. And... Taylor Townsend should have won that set and if she had won that set I think we would have had a classic because then she could have lived off the momentum of it a little bit and even if she'd have had a dip and, and I also in, I, I very much enjoy watching Carolina Mukova come back at people and, and, and find ways um, but when she got the first set it wasn't that competitive but it just makes me want to see Taylor Townsend more and more on these stages and I mean mid, mid-match I came up with what what is going to be my list which is the wish list <laughs> which is and Taylor Townsend's right at the top of it of wanting her to become relevant at the top of the game again it's like Dominic Team, isn't it if you don't want that then you, you might not like tennis it's hard to believe how could you not want that yeah you know because She's just good news, good vibes. Oh, just but you know, at the same time, I love the way Mukovic keeps on backing it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really, really impressed with Mukova today because Townsend was was winning so many of the of the highlight reel points in that first set, and she was punctuating them with cool celebrations. And she had the she had the crowd in the palm of her hand, and it. It really felt like it was her set to win. But she wasn't quite able to do it on the big points, and Mukova was. And Mukova played a flawless tie-break. Tansen was a bit flat, oddly, in the tie-break. And then Mukova just didn't let go and just broke at the start of the second set and won it. And as much as their game styles were similar in terms of variety, their energy on court was very different. You know, Mukova is more understated, and she almost used that as a as a bit of a weapon against Townsend as long as she could live with her 
she could then maybe take the sting out of the match in the second set as she did and I was really really impressed with Mukova as I have been you know as everyone has been really since uh, well since she was fit (laughs) (laughs) Wong Jinyu next for Mukova and the last day session match I think we need to talk about and perhaps we won't talk about it in all its depth here because I think we'd like to talk about her potential next matchup, which will be against the match just getting started between Coco Goff and uh, Elisa Mertens. But Caroline Wozniacki 2.0 keeps on rolling. She beat Jennifer Brady 4-6-3-6-6-1 today. Not that competitive in the third set, but hugely competitive up until that point. Caroline Wozniacki just outlasted Jennifer Brady. I mean, considering these two are are both pretty much at the exact same point in their comeback trail, had won the exact same or played, I think, pretty much the same number of matches coming in here. And actually, Jennifer Brady had played more long matches than Caroline Wozniacki. It was just no contest in that third set. Brady was suffering and Wozniacki was getting better. Yeah. She was getting freer. She was teeing off more on the ball. It, it, it took... Uh, and this makes sense because it is perhaps not deeply ingrained yet. It took some time for Caroline Wozniacki 2.0 to settle into that match, but yeah. by the third set, that's what we were seeing. I mean, it was a reminder of just how lethal that backhand is in the third set because Brady's brain was scrambled by that point, so she just started to tee off, but she was teeing off into the backhand, and she hit a couple of perlers into the backhand corner. Wozniacki just wandered over and just smashed winners down the line with it and she gave a really good analysis I thought in her post-match interview about how she got to that point in the match because she wasn't Mm. able to rely on her normally banker backhand and so and she she was a set and two love down 40-15 down Brady's going to have regrets there I'm telling you because she should have won that match from that point but Wozniacki just said to said she said to herself just go cross court with the backhand stop pulling the trigger down the line because it's not there rally 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 ground her down and then played that shot into four mm. it's really interesting and I, I'm sure the TV commentary that she did was part of her mm. own ability to analyse what's going on out there mm. look what I want to do right now is start talking about Goff Wozniacki but there's a whole Elise Mertens. There's a whole Elise Mertens standing in our way. They're just getting going on the Arthur Ashe Stadium. So I'm going to be very restrained and I'm going to hold off for part two, which for you, dear listener, is only moments away. We are a whole, a whole night session away from that. And uh, who knows how long that could go on for. But you will hear us again in a few moments' time. We'll be back at Tennis Podcast Towers. Cannot promise any Sitsadossa in part two. In fact, if there is Sitsadossa in part two, something something's extremely happened. weird has happened. Which, <laughs> well, my phone's out <laughs> again. Again, wouldn't put it past him because it all seems weird. But anyway, uh, that's part one. We'll be back part two in just a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Well, I know for you it is only moments later, but for us it is now nearly 3 a.m. And yes, there was a whole Elise Mertens standing in the way between us and part two, but there was also a whole Laszlo Gera standing in the way of us and part two, it turns out. David has just just stepped off the the 2am bus from Flushing Meadows. Yeah, yeah, I had a little 20-minute nap <laughs> while I was going from uh, <laughs> Flushing Meadows to Manhattan, and then I got off the bus and I walked the wrong way, and I've somehow just walked past a crime scene, uh, which was... <laughs> All a bit disorientating, um, and now I'm here. Okay, was ever okay? Okay, <laughs> right. Novak Djokovic. We hatched a plan, didn't we? We hatched a plan for what to do about the podcast if he went out, and we didn't hatch that plan until he was two sets to love down. Because even a set and a breakdown felt sort of extremely low risk. But once he went two sets of love down, we thought, okay, this is this is real now. <laughs> this really is happening. And then he broke at the start of the third set. And instantly, for me, I was like, oh, well, he's winning it. And that's Novak Djokovic, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, he has been two sets to love down in slams a few times over the last three years, I would say, and not actually been that close to losing any of them. And I would say this was probably another example of that, a match you would put in that category. Ones I'm thinking of are Sinner at Wimbledon, Tsitsipas uh, in the French Open, Mozzetti at the French Open... Uh, and yeah, as soon as he broke at the start of that third set, it was like, okay, the the tide has shifted a bit now, and he's got control of the match. And there were still little moments of jeopardy that you're always going to have to have when you're mounting a comeback from two sets to love down. The start of the fourth set, where they traded breaks and... Jera suddenly had changed kit and he, it was, he come, came back out in black. He came back he? out in black, having been in all Johnny white. Cash. 
There was a little moment there where I thought, okay, Djokovic needs to weather this storm. There was a little moment when he was serving for the match when Gera had break back point. But actually, there was, you know, it was one of those matches which was defined by how little drama there was in the latter stages, even though the the sort of situation generally, Djokovic with no room for error and needing to win three sets in a row was quite dramatic. The actual play from mm. when he was two sets to love down was not that dramatic. And it is remarkable how Novak Djokovic can assume control of that match where he's two sets to love down and it not feel like, oh my God, Novak Djokovic is two sets to love down. I don't, it's a combination of his experience, how good he is. Like, I'm, There's just not other players that I think I would have so much faith in mm. that one break of serve will just change the whole feel and course of the match. Those first two sets, David, particularly the second set, they reminded me of the final he played here two years ago against Daniel Medvedev in terms of... The first set, I actually don't think Djokovic was that bad. I thought Jero was fantastic and Djokovic was in the kind of gear that's usually good enough to yeah. win third round Grand Slam matches you know he knows he's so much better than everybody else that's that's what he does in opening rounds of slams isn't it he, he rolls through the gears second set he was bad though and I, I guess that was the stress of of going a set down he didn't he did not handle that well he was doing that thing of looking completely off balance suddenly all of the snaps seemed to come out of his shots particularly his forehand and yeah it was really reminiscent for me of that Medvedev match yeah and and I think also reminiscent because it was a player who was out Djokovicing him just like Medvedev did that day and and actually if you if you would have not know too much about tennis and watched that you'd wonder which one was which because the, the, he played so similarly to him there was real snap in the strokes of Jera and he was his backhand down the line was causing problems and he He's a just a really good player, um, but yeah. Once it was two sets to love, it Djokovic's demeanor was more of, oh, we've got to do this again, have we? You know, uh, and but he knows exactly how to do it. And the only jeopardy, I mean, look, the next two sets were six one six one, and yet there were some slightly dicey moments in the first couple of games of both of those sets, and it did go through my mind. It is such fine margins here for Djokovic. He cannot afford a mistake now. That's that's the the point. Is he can't afford for Jera to get inspired and adrenaline pumping and it to get too close because there's not much room for manoeuvre here. But what it actually does is it gives him his deadline. It gives him his oh, oh well I've, I cannot afford to be mm. sloppy now, and he just and that causes a gear that. I don't think anybody's ever had that gear from behind two sets to love and managed situations. We've seen Andy Murray and Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer sort of heroically rescue situations, but not manage situations the way Djokovic does. He, he, he just, I don't think it's conscious. He just slips into these gears and people can't cope. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Borna Goyo next for Novak Djokovic. It's hard to see this happening again, quite frankly. Him him coming out and just not be, being his real, real self. I think this will sharpen him up. I think this actually should, should be quite a terrifying 
night for mm. for Bornegoyo, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah, because I think the maybe one point of difference about this Novak Djokovic display from Two Cents to Love Down that we've just described compared to some of the others is that we've not really seen it this early in the tournament from Djokovic. Like normally, he just absolutely cruises through the first two or three rounds of a slam. Certainly since he's turned 30, you know, he's become so efficient in early rounds. Um, and I think the one thing as well is that because he's so good at not getting himself involved in an absolute epic, it doesn't really feel like he played a grueling five-setter today. Like, I think... In his 30s, people often can be absolutely amazed by the fact that Novak Djokovic has that sort of Carlos Alcaraz Cincinnati final performance in him. It's like, how can he do this? He's 36. But I don't actually think you lose that much of your endurance when you're that old. Like, marathon runners peak in their 30s, don't they? I think what, what is harder is the recovery. And because he's managed to turn this match into actually three very efficient final sets, I don't think he's taken too much out of him. He was quite keen to wrap up the interview as quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, he was the only person that seems to be able to get Brad Gilbert to stop talking. <laughs> he just sort of walked off. He, just, he literally walked off. Time Why to get was... this 36-year-old body ready yeah. again. He Why knows was he Brad needs Gilbert sleep. Gilbert not desperate to get home to bed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I th- I'm worried Brad Gilbert is sleeping at the Billie Jean King National <laughs> Tennis Centre. <laughs> He's working some extraordinary hours. It's so extreme. There He's were four minutes between the tally. coaching and interview. <laughs> Today. Yeah, I mean, for no, us, that is not an exaggeration. For us watching no. on the TV, there was zero seconds. They were showing footage of Brad Gilbert backstage with Coco Goff doing a post match debrief in the corridor, and that cut immediately to Brad Gilbert waiting in the corridor for Laszlo, uh, approaching Laszlo Gera. Mm. And, and Novak Djokovic himself commented on that as well. Yeah. He was like, I was just in the gym with all of Coco's team. Except you weren't there. Now I know why. You're here. <laughs> uh, thoughts and prayers with, uh, with Brad. We, we are going to talk about Coco Goff, but I feel like first we should talk about Elena Rabakina, who is out. And this all happened at the same time that, that Novak Djokovic and Lazo Jero were doing their thing on the Arthur Ashe Stadium. The most extraordinary match with Serana Castella, three sets for Castella. She lost the second on a tie break, having had set points. And for her to sustain that match and her level after the letdown of losing the second set, I thought was unreal. It's what Elisa Mertens, wily experienced Elisa Mertens, couldn't do against Coco Golf. Laura Siegmund couldn't do it. Laszlo Gera couldn't do it in his own way. Serana Castella kept up this what I think is absolutely peak Serana Castella level for a full three sets. And she was sublime tonight to the extent that we were looking up her results going, where the hell has she been? If she's got this tennis in her, what has she been, what's she been doing? And Best the I've an- ever seen her play. The answer is losing to good players over the last few months. She had a really dodgy spell, um, on on clay and and she had a good win at Wimbledon, but she had that great run at the Sunshine Double, didn't she? And and I had forgotten that a little bit, even though I was 
at both those runs because um, she's not done that much recently. But this was better than anything I saw her do in Indian Wells or Miami. It was yeah. breathtaking hitting, I thought. Mentally, so strong. I mean, because I went out for the second set tiebreak and, and watched Elena Rabakina win that tiebreak. And to think that Castella would come again from there is, feels quite far-fetched. So that's one massive achievement. The other thing is the way she would counterattack. Because, I, look, I'm sure this wasn't Rabakina at her best, but like me, she hit the ball hard. She hits the ball so hard. And when you're courtside, it's even more breathtaking. And she would get to these balls and find her way back into the rally and then retaliate, just counterattack. And and I think early on in her career, that I just don't think that was there. She was a hitter. She would just hit out at you and wanted to, and if that didn't work, she'd be miss, missing. This was a, a contained, aggressive counter-attacking performance she's got Thomas Johansson as her coach on the sidelines there you know it's just a, an interesting vibe the whole thing and I mean what is she thir- early 30s now yeah just did, getting the did best you see the herself. incredibly tense exchange she had with Thomas Johansson after losing the second set tie no. break Rebecca went off court for an outfit change she was gone for a long time and during that time Castella wandered over to the other side of the court to, to speak to her coach Thomas Johansson as as you can do now and it was a funny one I was thinking like what can what what can and should he say like you've you've played the best you've ever played for two sets keep that up and there's a good chance (laughs) it'll be enough to be a Wimbledon champion you know that's all there is to say maybe that is what he was saying but she wasn't happy with it um but she's probably happier with it now because it worked. I mean, Rebecca Matt, it was a similar story, less dramatically so, but a similar story to um, Canada and Cincinnati, wasn't it? Off the ground, she looks, by and large, pretty good. It's on the serve that she's exposed at the moment, and that, as good as she is off the ground, that's the biggest distinguishing weapon from others in the game Mm. yeah she lost her serve five or six times tonight and didn't hit that many aces and I I felt like when Rebecca was at her best she would sometimes just come up with a flurry of aces and you sort of knew that that was there in her back pocket when she needed it and it's not there at the moment and it just makes her a little bit more vulnerable generally her her serve percentage wasn't that high, which gave Costello a few more looks. And yeah, just without that big weapon, she is slightly blunted as a player, even with, as David describes, just the most incredible power that she has. Just just gives other players a chance. I was I was very impressed with her fight. It felt like she was hanging on a lot today because, as you've described, Costello was just playing this astonishing match. And Rebecca never went away, kept getting the break back, kept making it close and was scrappy and I, I, I quite admired that in a player who is so often smooth and efficient. It was it was interesting to see a different side. But you're right, it is a side that we've seen quite a lot recently. Rebecca always seems to be involved in these epics at the moment and I'm not sure that's really what she wants to be doing. She she's more clinical than that when she's at her best, I suppose. So for me, this is the first big shock I would say of the women's draw like 
I think she's the third top ten player to go out, but the other two uh, were Zachary and Garcia, who I certainly didn't have featuring in this tournament. I didn't really think Rebecca was quite in the right frame of mind or physical health to actually win this tournament, but just kind of respecting her slam record over the last 18 months, I, I thought she you know had a shot, was maybe in the mix. First, first big name from that mix to go, I think, and yeah, does um, does open that little section of the drawer up, I suppose. Speaking of uh, of frictionless wins uh, on Armstrong before Rabakina and Castella, Taylor Fritz won two in love against Jakob Mensik. I mean, I know that's basically a child he's playing there, but it's it's a child that's reached the third round of a slam. And he's done exactly what we've been saying he needs to be doing there, Taylor Fritz. And okay, that's a match he should win. But it's his first time into the second second week of the US Open and he's he's ticking off these matches and, and you love to see it, I think. It's um passed all the tests with flying colours. Exactly. A handful of games lost in three matches now. And is it is it Dominic Stricker he now plays? Because Dominic Stricker... Yeah, the remains of Dominic Stricker. Dominic Stricker is new Diesel. Yeah, don't you doubt Diesel, Matt. <laughs> I'm telling you, he, is, he has played 22 sets <laughs> this US Open. Eight in qualifying and 14 in the main draw now. And yeah, he should hit the wall eventually. But I don't know, he's got that Medvedev thing of... <laughs> The more dishevelled he looks, the better he plays. He, do, he does seem to just keep being able to come back for more. He's got he's on his like sixth wind or something mm. when when he's when, when he lost that fourth set against Benjamin Bonzi. And actually watching that match, you just saw Bonzi just gradually getting back into it, and it it seemed like he'd. I've thought he had hit the wall, Stricker. And to come out on top, I had to do a double take in the fifth set that he was actually ahead because I wasn't really watching the match. But his celebrations at the end were just brilliant. He's, he he was just so happy. He, he was everything a player who's just reached the second week of a Grand Slam for the first time, having played 22 <laughs> sets, should look like. like. Not just exhausted and, and a mess on the floor, just joyous and uh yeah, it will be interesting to see whether he can bring it again. Mm, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. And presumably, if he is feeling it physically, he'll just have to kind of hit out. And that's... I love his stroke production. I'm mm. I'm looking forward to that. It could be awkward and one-sided if he, if he really is gassed. But he hasn't hit the wall yet, so let's see. Um, Coco Goff. We thought we would be th- talking about Coco Goff at the front end of part two, and certainly when she went a, a, a set down rather to Elisa Mertens, we definitely thought we'd be leading part two with Coco Goff. Um, yeah, she keeps getting herself involved in these epics. It's like it's like she's gone. I've employed Brad Gilbert. I've got to win ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a, a an interesting experience to watch it. Um, because she was a set and 2-3 down. And again, to refer to what I mentioned with Djokovic, your margins are so small there. You make one error from there and you're out, in best of three particularly. And there was real anxiety amongst her, between her and her camp because she just she just couldn't get going. And Mertens was getting her off balance. She was hitting out herself. She was she gave the full "Let's go" <laughs> when she won the first set, and and I didn't see the dip coming. Mm. And 
Coco Goff was just mentally tougher than Mertens out there. And then she, and the the one message that Brad Gilbert keeps passing on that you hear is make it physical. You know, sometimes I think maybe he almost overdoes the kind of don't don't go line with the backhand. I sort of I think when he says make it physical, it really hits home for her because then she just she got she got into a mode. I mean, it was nine or ten games in a row at the end there. I mean, and that is a capitulation from Mertens at the same time. It was that was disappointing. For, I didn't think she was flaky like that. I, I didn't. I, I I did back Coco Goff to go on and win after she got that second set but I did not expect her to fall away like that I didn't think that's who she was and look it's partly about Coco Goff that she broke her will in that way but it was disappointing as a spectacle yeah Pam Shriver courtside made the point that maybe it was just the week that Mertens has had kind of taking its toll you know remember she saved match points in round one in round two suddenly she's a set and in a winning position up against uh, Coco Goff, and everything just suddenly seemed to drain from her. Her, her. Any sort of resistance just fell away. And I was impressed with Goff, though, as as, as David said, that that element of making it physical. She was in the ESPN. What do they call it? Plaza. Pl- they call it the ESPN Studio at Fountain. Plaza sponsored by yeah, and this is on an internal WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she was there. She was on the telly. She was on ESPN, and she was making making that exact point that she wants to make it physical. She trusts her legs against all these other players, and I think getting that little message from Brad to just reinforce that I think is is helpful for her. And she also did using the crowd too, isn't she? Yeah. What he's saying to her is, you've got somebody, something that no one else mm-hmm. has. Even when the rest of your game isn't there, you've got this mm. magic ingredient that is better than anybody else. Mm. Yeah. He's re- he's reassuring her mind with that as, yeah. as well. Mm. Very perceptive, time. isn't he, about who's got what <laughs> and, yes. and what they should use. Because mm. he didn't have half of these things. But I, I do think there might be a a bit of panic in Coco Goff about level, about the feel, the feeling of why am I, why am I? I, I know second round was an exception, but she's she's coming out and she's she's playing way off her best, and she, it's great that she's winning ugly, but she'd rather feel like it's within her power to come out there and be playing close to her best from the start. I agree. Um, especially with Iga Swiatek looming in the quarterfinals, but next up for her it's Caroline Wozniacki, and that's going to be a similar match, I think, to Elisa Mertens, except probably tougher and with absolutely not the same drop off mm. in the latter stages. Wozniacki is fit as a butcher's dog, and she's going to stay with her right to the end. Yeah, that's the thing. Making it physical against her. I don't think is the same proposition. Mm. I think, I think she's going to have to take the racket out of her hand a bit, um, because yeah, I'm, look, she is still ten years Wozniacki's junior. She probably is fitter, and obviously Wozniacki hasn't played for a long, long time. But this is a woman who ran the New York Marathon for fun and and just <laughs> loves fitness. She loves running, and so yeah, she and she's got stronger in the last two matches when she's mm. gone into the third set. So um but I do I do think if 
Goff has a really good day, if she can find the form that you're referencing, Catherine, I think she's capable of actually dominating. Yeah, and in the two matches that she's had to turn around, so round one against Siegmund and tonight against Mertens, she's come forward to sort of gain territory Mm. in the match. And I think, you know, it's hard to, to do that against a player who's, you know, like Wozniacki, who's so good from the baseline. But I think that might be something that she will look to try and do as well. My heart was in my mouth at the end of this match because Goff very nearly went over on her ankle right at the end. It It was a fall as she was stretching out wide on the forehand. I don't actually know how she managed to not go over on it fully. It was a it was a very scary moment. Um yeah, just just something I wanted to mention that yeah, it's um it can be on the edge. Yeah, there's a lot been on the edge yeah. tonight. It's been an edgy night. It has. <laughs> it's, the, it's the beauty of top-level sport, isn't yeah. it? How f- close to the limits these players have having to push themselves. You know, we can sometimes look at scoreboard and just assume stuff's happened. And then when you watch it in the moment, you realise how close they are mm. to not getting mm. what they want. Tomorrow's schedule, folks. Arthur Ashe Stadium starts at midday, as usual, with Carlos Alcaraz against Dan Evans. Then it's Alina Svitolina facing Jessica Pagula. Night session is Ange Jabeur against Marie Buzkovic. Interesting that that's the night session. I'm quite sure Jabeur will have asked for it because she said, you know, with this illness she's got, playing at night a couple of days ago really helped her. Um, So I I know it's also the weekends, the daytime slots is is at, at more a premium than it would during the week for ESPN. Um, last up on Ash tomorrow, Daniel Medvedev against Sebastian Baez. Uh, Clara Burrell taking on Arena Sabalenka first on Armstrong, then Samsonova Keys, Rurinka Sinner, and then night session there's Zverev Dimitrov and Vondrosheva Alexandrova. Michael Moe and Jack Draper open up Armstrong. Then it's Rublev Rinderknech. Then Coco Goff is back in doubles action with Jessica Begula. <laughs> and then it is Katie Bolter against Peyton Stearns. Court 17, Daria Kazakina, Grit Minnan, Matea Arnaldi against Cameron Norrie. Nicholas Jarry, that's what I was looking for, Matt. Last on court <laughs> yes, 17. a lot of scrolling. Last on court 17 tomorrow against Alex de Menor. That will be great, I think. Mm. Good so atmos. You, so you can sleep until then, <laughs> sort of, well, maybe. Well, no. Fulham are on in seven hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which makes my heart sink in lots of ways, because number one, it means Matt will probably be in a bad mood all day tomorrow, because <laughs> it's city away. Uh, and number two, no one will have had anywhere near enough sleep, so... Do tune in to tomorrow's <laughs> pod, folks. It could be a fun one. I'm pumped. <laughs> you know David's going to be listening to the radio with West Brom playing. Yeah, yeah we yeah. do know that. Of course. Uh, right. That is your lot. Uh, we have Willow, our US Open mascot. Hey, Hello, Willow. Hooray for Willow. We're hooray for Willow. We have our mascots, Xenia, Maisie and Darwin. I had a photo of Maisie sent to me by Maisie's owner today and I was delighted. Hi Maisie. That is excellent. I'm completely open to being sent photos of Xenia. <laughs> just to let you know, always somebody today when we were recording part one 
didn't they the it's sort of adjacent to the public area at the media garden where we tend to record part one and instead of shouting david matt or catherine or tennis podcast or anything like that uh, a, a lovely couple walking past just came up to the little barrier and held up a picture of their dog on their phone <laughs> It's like the universal language. Uh, and I totally knew what was going <laughs> Catherine on. Catherine suddenly wasn't with us. Instantly yeah. gravitated towards <laughs> them. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, we, have, we have Billie Jean, who's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. Hey. We have our top folks and executive producers, who I'm going to say in their right order. Jamie, Hannah and Drew, hello to you. And hello to our shout-outs, Matt. Our 3am shout-outs. <laughs> Hello to Wendy Goldberg. Hey. Hello, Wendy. We know Wendy. Wendy we is a friend of Mary Carillo's and a friend of the pod. Uh, and she is from Brooklyn, New Aww. York. How lovely. Great place. Hello, Wendy. Like Wendy Turnbull. Yes, Wendy Turnbull, who I used to commentate with here at the US Open. She used to do BBC Radio commentary for the finals weekends, and I really enjoyed Did she that. Now? Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's lovely, Wendy's. Thank you, Wendy. Yeah, thanks, Wendy. We've also got Peter Swenson, who is from Corvallis, Oregon. Oh. oh. Hello, Peter. Like the the late great Peter McNamara who was a wonderful doubles player and somebody we all knew very well. And, uh, yeah, I always think fondly of him. Yes, and former coach of Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah, that's right. Who goes tomorrow. And David believes. I do. I I picked Dimitrov, haven't I? I picked him two days ago (laughs) to win that match. So there we are. There's a little bit of a newsletter teaser for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Peter. And finally, we have Chrissy Davis in Sydney. And Chrissy says, I used to be a ballerina in Monaco in the late 90s. And David, I remember Jimmy's very well. Oh, wow. That is amazing. Home of the the sort of $15 beer when prices were normal about 20 years ago. Um, so, yes, you can tell. I mean, there must be about $45 now. But anyway, yes, Jimmy's ballerina. Any Very tennis cool. Chrissies? I'm, Chrissy I'm being facetious. Evert. Yes, I know. Oh, okay. right. Sorry, it's quarter past three. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you'd forgotten or I didn't get the sarcasm. It was the latter. It wasn't a good gag. It wasn't a good gag. Thank you, Chrissy. Um, and just while we're plugging the newsletter... I just feel like we need to have a a moment of reverence for a stat that wasn't even Matt's stat that Matt, that I witnessed Matt casually producing from the sofa (laughs) earlier while I was just watching tennis and playing on my phone. I thought Matt had briefly become a bit distracted from, 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 you know, just my my quips, the great conversation. (laughs) And it turned out he was fact-checking just... The most extraordinary stat, when Djokovic went two sets to love down, I suddenly saw this appear on our Twitter feed. At slams, Djokovic has won more matches in his career from two sets down than Gerrard has ever won from two sets up. It's not Matt's stat, but 
if that's the stuff he's casually producing, imagine the stuff he's spending a whole day working on, folks. Subscribe to the GD newsletter, will you? <laughs> Guys, Catherine, it's way better than today's newsletter. <laughs> Don't say that. Subscribe anyway, folks. Tell your friends. Leave us uh, an Apple Podcast, uh, an Apple Podcast review, and become a friend of the Tennis Podcast if you want to support this three AM content year round. And we will speak to you again later today. 